Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market each day. I'm your host, Emily Flippin. I'm Jason Moser. I'm Nick Seipel. I'm Dylan Lewis. And today we're talking financials. Today we're talking consumer goods. Wildcard Wednesday. And we're talking energy. And today we're talking tech. Let's dive in. Welcome to Industry Focus. I'm Nick Seipel. This week, John Rosevere returns to the show for a look at what's going on with Big Auto. John, how's your summer been? It's been great. I think you know, but our viewers may not know. I have three college kids, and they've been in and out all summer with friends and so forth, and it's been a fun time. Yeah, very exciting. I've also been running around. You know, as folks know, I've I've gotten married. As we've uh, over the past year, John, we've talked a lot about um, electric vehicles and you know the future <laughs> of automotive. There's been constant news. Um, really, like I said, for for the past year or so, today is no different. So just uh, just today, President Biden has announced. Uh, that he's going to uh, sign an executive order, which will put forward a new national target for zero emissions vehicles. Numbers being reported as up to 50% of cars sold in the USA by 2030, targeting uh, to be these zero emissions vehicles. Where does this fit into this uh, EV story we've been talking about for so long, John? It's another step forward. I mean, I, I think we've already seen, if you look at the financials of companies like GM and Ford, they're already spending money on EVs. I mean, they've, they've announced these big cash commitments, but you can see it. And there are R&D dollars and their CapEx dollars and so forth that the money is getting spent. What they want, uh, what they always want is some assurance that buyers are going to show up for whatever it is the government wants them to build. <laughs> you know, and I, I, I mean, they, they are all three, Stellantis two now, uh, which is the post-merger uh, Fiat Chrysler and, and Peugeot, uh, Stellantis is, is the third of the, the big three, although Stellantis is more global uh, focused, but we'll get back to that. But anyway, what they always want is to know that, you know, there's a three to four year lead time developing new vehicles, sometimes longer when you're doing things like developing new drivetrains and new battery technology and so forth. Uh, they want to know that when they spend the money up front, three, four years later, buyers are going to show up uh, to get them. So what they're hoping for from the government is some support around infrastructure. We need, we need better charging networks in the United States. We need, them, we need chargers in more places. We need more fast chargers and so on and so forth. And also maybe with incentives. I mean, we saw how incentives helped Tesla get rolling back in the day. Uh, maybe we extend those a little further. Maybe we position them around you know, more entry-level vehicles or something like that uh, so that we know that, that, that buyers are going to have a, a little extra motivation to choose an electric over a hybrid or internal combustion vehicle in five years or whatever. Um, when, when a lot of these come to market in the mid-decade, it's really about three and a half, four years now, I guess. Uh, and, and, and that's what they're looking for. And of course, uh, you know, the Biden administration, the Democrats are happy to deliver that because they see, you know, American jobs. We, you know, China's rushing into EVs. Uh, Europe is increasingly rushing into EVs. Uh, we don't want to be left behind. We want Americans building them from a, you know, from a White House policy perspective. We want you know, good paying jobs, uh, union jobs with these three automakers, uh, you know, and we want American technology and American know-how and to be exporting these vehicles, not importing them. Uh, so, so it's good policy for Democrats and, and it's helpful to have that for Detroit. Yeah. And I think when you, when you look at some of the moves other governments have made around electric vehicles, I think in particular Europe, we've seen this big upswing um, in EV production. A, a big part of that has been driven by the European Union saying, listen, if you don't produce more of these vehicles, we're going to start dinging you with fines, all those sorts of things. There's not that in place with this current executive order. But what do you think about what's going to push automakers past this target to, to really uh, you know, put, make the rubber hit the road, to use a pun? 
Well, I think they're, they want to do it anyway, but I, I think, uh, you know, the stick that comes with this, the carrot is, you know, the government help with infrastructure and, and you know, incentives and so forth. The stick, I think, uh, will be announced, I think, later today. It might be tomorrow, but I've seen some floaters from the White House about this, uh, a comprehensive um, revamp of uh, fuel economy standards, emission standards. Uh, first of all, they're going back to the Obama era plan, which was adopted in like 2012 or 2013. Uh, again, at the time with the buy-in of, of the Detroit automakers uh, that the Trump administration eased some, uh, they're, they're putting that back in place like right away. And then a couple years out, they're going to start to make things a lot tighter around fuel economy and emissions, uh, basically to make it harder to keep selling uh, internal combustion vehicles with higher capabilities and so forth. And at a moment where GM and Ford and Stellantis really don't want to be spending money developing new internal combustion engines and so forth. Yeah. So, so you you mentioned a few times, John, uh, Ford, GM, Stellantis, Stellantis. This is this merged company, uh, Fiat, Chrysler, Peugeot. So traditionally, we thought of the big three automakers. It was Ford, GM, Chrysler. This is still kind of Ford, GM, Chrysler uh, kind of standing up there with the president mm-hmm. when he when he signs um, signs this uh, executive order. One company you don't hear included in there, which is always in the conversation when it comes to American electric vehicles is Tesla. What do you make of, of Tesla kind of being snubbed here? Uh I don't know for sure. Uh, you know, I, my guess is uh, either they asked Tesla and Tesla said, nah, it's not our party. We're not interested. Or what I think is more likely um, is that, of course, Tesla is not only non-union, but they've had some fights with the United Auto Workers and Democratic administration, very pro-union, good paying American jobs is the theme for the Biden team and so forth. I think maybe they didn't want, you know, the non-union shop that's had fighting with Tesla to become, that's had fighting with the UAW uh, to become the story here when it's really about, you know, good paying Midwestern blue collar jobs and swing states where we need them to get reelected and all this kind of, (laughs) you know, this sort of thing. It's a political calculation. Uh, You know, of course, the Tesla fans on Twitter are screaming about it. But again, Tesla is not the company that needs um, to hear just partly because Tesla has built its own infrastructure to some extent, um, and it's already made the investments in electric vehicle technology, uh, you know, and just the huge sums of money that you're talking about with the major Detroit manufacturers, uh, you know, they need the reassurance that, that the government is going to support their effort to go electric. Um, and, and so Tesla is also really not the target audience for this necessarily. Right. Tesla's already doing this, the things. Tesla's already 100% EV, right? And the Biden right. Yeah, this, yeah, this yeah. 50% EV, EV. They've built out their own charging network and so forth. Um, yeah, I think everybody, including Tesla, would benefit from uh, expanded access to fast chargers. Uh, Teslas can use them too. Uh, and, you know, certainly in certain parts of the country, you, you hear of the big lines at supercharger stations and so forth. And it's a, a ongoing gripe of certain Tesla owners in some areas where, you know, it seems like you have to wait an hour and a half to go to the charger. Um, so they would benefit from this indirectly as well. And if there's an expansion of incentives, it's possible that, you know, future Tesla buyers will receive those incentives as well. Uh, I don't know if they're going to cap it by the price of the vehicle or what. Uh, there was some talk of doing that. But even then, you know, Tesla's talking about doing a model below the Model 3 at some point that would, you know, presumably qualify just like, you know, the Ford and GM vehicles and Chrysler vehicles in that kind of space. Yeah, so, so so we'll see what happens. I think that you know it shouldn't take away from from Tesla is a very significant player in U.S. EVs, and I don't think that that's going to change uh, depending on whether they're standing behind the president when he signs uh, when he fi- signs his executive order. That said, uh, it says something about uh, you know at least 
from a political point of view, there, there's still, you know, a, a certain class of folks in, uh, in Washington or maybe other places that think of the big three as one category and then Tesla and some of these others um, in another category. Maybe one last thing on the, the presidential action. So 2030 targeting half of, of autos sold in the USA being electric vehicles. In your opinion, how realistic is this timeline? Like, does this heaven and heaven and earth have to be moved to achieve this? Or, or is this kind of in line with, with, you know, kind of where we expect things to move anyway? What are your thoughts? Heaven and earth has to be moved, but heaven and earth is already moving. Um, I would say, assuming they can get the batteries, uh, that the automakers will have the cars, uh, the, or at least the ability to build that many electric vehicles. Uh, we need the buyers to show up to really make it work. You know, and that means we don't need a giant electric vehicle backlash between now and then and so on and so forth. And, you know, you could see where this could become a thing, uh, you know, only crazy liberal commies drive electric vehicles, this and that. But I, what I what I what I think is so significant about Ford's F-150 Lightning is it neatly diffuses that here is, you know, the best selling pickup truck and we're making it electric and that makes it better. Uh, you know, it's 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 important for Ford's business to get it out there soon. And I think it's also going to turn out to be a significant product uh, in moving Americans to adopt electric vehicles. Yeah, well, so maybe we can move on to forward earnings. Uh, John, one of the uh, other things we wanted to talk about today is we've seen Big Auto uh, across the board report earnings over the past week and a half, two weeks. We'll talk about GM. We'll talk about Ford, BMW, uh, maybe some others. But let's start here with with Ford had a pretty positive response to earnings back in back in late July has traded down a little bit since then. What were the big themes to pull out uh, from Ford's earnings report? Well, I mean, people were expecting uh, a not so good quarter because Ford has been, let's back up, uh, to refresh our memory, there's an ongoing global shortage of semiconductors, computer chips, particularly the simpler, older style computer chips that uh, autos are full of that control little things. This is not, you know, the latest cutting edge silicon in a new iPhone. This is, this is older technology stuff uh, that is still very useful that automakers like because it's rugged and proven and it'll let, you know, they know it'll last 10, 15 years in a car, which is a harsh environment. Uh, there's been a shortage of that kind of computer chips and it has really disrupted production for a lot of automakers. Ford has been hit harder than some. Uh, they've had to cut a lot of production, uh, which is really unfortunate given that they have a brand new version of their F-150 pickup uh, that would be in very high demand if they could build them that fast. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and so forth. So, so Wall Street was expecting a not very good quarter, perhaps even a loss. Uh, Ford came in um, with a profit uh, on an adjusted EBIT basis, which is what we all watch. Uh, you know, they made a profit of 1.1 billion uh, versus a loss of 1.9 billion uh, in the second quarter of 2020, when, of course, a lot of the factories had been shut down from COVID. Uh, you know, their their margins were not quite as high as we'd like and so forth, but it was a respectable quarter and it was, again, better than Wall Street expected. And the story there uh, is that, yeah, we're not selling as many cars and trucks as we want, but that's true of everybody. There's a shortage. There's very high consumer demand. You know, we're not offering very much in the way of incentives. We're getting full price for these and that is doing great things for our margins. Yeah, John. So this reminds me, I tweeted something out about this a few weeks ago. Uh, so I went with my uh, then fiance, now now wife, we have since since uh, since been married to, to, to go get some repairs done on her car. And we were in the Honda dealership and all across the dealership they had in these little plastic uh, display things, uh, articles from like Car and Driver and things like that talking about there's this big car shortage. And the translation is, listen, you know, we got the cars that we have. Uh, 
we're going to sell them to you for the price that, that, uh, that, that we name. And if you don't want it, good luck finding another one. It, it sounds like that that's some of what you're describing here, John, is, listen, uh, the cars that are out there, people are going to have to pay what they have to pay. Yeah, I mean, I mean, Ford is actually, I don't, I think this is a temporary situation because of the chip shortage, but they've actually lost pickup truck market share uh, because GM has been able, for whatever reasons, with its suppliers to build somewhat more pickups and get them out there. But everybody is selling, you know, cars, trucks, SUVs at, at you know, full boat prices, uh, if not markup prices, because I know some of the dealers are doing well off this. The automakers hate that, but <laughs> yeah, the dealers are independent businesses. They can price things as they want. Um, but where the automakers are saving money is they don't have to do the incentives. Uh, you know, they, there are still incentives out there for a few things, but they're nothing like what we would expect to see in normal times, even normal um, growth economy kind of times. Uh, and that is, that is, putting a lot of points on margin. Yeah. Yeah. When demand is very strong relative to supply, you don't have to do a lot to, uh, to sell um, what you have out there. So you mentioned, John, uh, the F-150 Lightning, how this can be a really important uh, product for Ford, maybe an important product for the, the image of electric vehicles in the U.S. Uh, what are we seeing as far as updates on the Lightning and, and Ford's EV plans? Well, I uh... Ford uh, said a couple weeks ago that they are actually scaling up uh, their ability to build electric vehicles generally uh, because the demand has actually taken them a bit by surprise. First for the Mach-E, which they launched, the Mustang Mach-E, uh, the electric crossover that they launched at the beginning of the year. And also they now have, I think, 120, 125,000 uh, pre-orders and, uh, for the F-150 Lightning. And I mean, this is just put in a deposit. The deposit is refundable. But still, this is a, it's a strong indication of interest. What they found with the Mach-E was a lot of these 100 dollar uh reservations converted and became sales and and so they are you know making taking taking the conversion rate which was very high uh and looking at the f-150 and sort of trying to scale early production they're saying you know we're going to need more batteries we're going to need more motors this and that and they, and so they're pushing out to their suppliers to make sure they have that in place and and ramping up uh their production capability and ramping up their volume expectations, assuming we get past the chip shortage uh, for this thing when it launches uh, in the first half of next year. Yeah. So, uh, you know, uh, you mentioned the F F-150 Lightning that, you know, 120,000 reservations. That's, that, that's, that's really significant. Why is this product, you know, you mentioned more broadly, something that you think is, is, is important for EVs in general or could be? Because it's an F-150. You know, the Ford's F-Series pickups are the best-selling vehicles in America. Uh, they're driven in red states. They're driven in blue states. Uh, you know, Americans are ordinary people, and we disagree on many things, but we like pickup trucks. Uh, certainly an awful lot of people do. Uh, and this is this is the pickup truck. It's the most visible pickup truck. And Ford is building, uh, and, and Ford is bringing it in at, you know, a reasonable price. Uh, they are targeting uh, commercial fleet customers who will see a real, um, you know, return on their investment or, or total cost of ownership that is considerably to their advantage versus uh, maintaining an internal combustion fleet. Uh, Ford is making this case strongly to their fleet customers, uh, I think in part because they weren't sure how retail demand was going to go. <laughs> but, you know, they know they can, you know, if they, if they can, they, they put a lot of effort in selling these to fleets, uh, certainly to get the scale early on if retail demand was a little slow to arrive. But I think they've been pleasantly surprised uh, by the retail demand. They say a whole lot of these people are new to Ford, uh, first time Ford customers who are making reservations for the, you know, their iconic F-150 pickup. Uh, and it's a good truck. I, you know, the, the, the capabilities and so forth that they've shown 
shown so far uh, are genuinely impressive. Uh, it is an F-150. We know uh, that Ford will you know, beat the heck out of it before they ship it so that they know it's durable, so that they know they can stand behind it. Um, you know, it's a product you can buy with some trust. If you've had F-150s and Ford says, okay, here's the electric F-150 and went through our same durability cycle that all our F-150s go through. Uh, we've tested it. We'll stand behind it with the full warranty. You know what you're getting. Uh, I think a lot of people are, are really liking that. And as I said, that's across America. That's not just, you know, Tesla's for elite tech people or, or whatever. It's, you know, this is the everyman product, uh, the every woman product, even to some, they, they do sell a fair number of them to women. I, I was actually surprised by that when I learned that a few years ago. Um, you know, it's, 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 it's a, it's a thing that reaches in all parts of the United States, including parts of the United States where we might expect if Tesla was really out in front of this and so forth, a little bit of a backlash against, you know, Mr. Rocket ship or whatever. Um, and, and so this, I think the, the F-150 is a key product to help move Americans uh, to electric vehicles. And again, by prioritizing uh, commercial deliveries early on and commercial sales early on, uh, what you'll see is a lot of people driving them at work and they come home and say, man, that's a nice truck. You know, I'm going to get one. <laughs> and, and they tell their friends and they, and, and, and so, you know, you get a lot of word of mouth and, and second order effects off that. Uh, it's why I think it's such a pivotal product uh, to a lesser extent, also the electric transit van, which is coming this fall. Um, you know, that's another thing they drive it at work and go, you know, these Ford electrics are actually pretty solid. I mean, they're really rugged. We've been driving it six months. We banged on it. hasn't had any problems and, and it's nice to drive. Maybe I want a Ford electric or, you know, a GM electric or a Tesla or whatever, uh, you know, this spreads the adoption. It spreads the word as people who have driven electric vehicles, we know that they're fun and, you know, even the mundane ones are fun. And, but most people still have not driven electric vehicles. And, and when you have them at work, when you're selling into commercial fleets and big volumes, you, you get more people behind the wheel of one and they say, "Whoa, I like this. Yeah, I can live with this. All right. Um, any last thoughts here on Ford, John, before we move on to GM? One thing to note is that a lot of Ford's profit uh, came from its financial services arm. And what's going on there is that as new cars have become harder to buy, used car prices have soared. We know that. We know that's a big component of when people say, oh, you know, consumer price index is up in the United States. Inflation is going on. We know a lot of that is cars, new and used vehicles, light vehicles. Uh what Ford Credit is finding is that the vehicles they get back off lease are selling for very, very, very good prices at auction. So they had a record quarter, Ford Credit, Ford's financial services arm. That drove a lot of Ford's uh, profit when we might have expected a loss in the second quarter. Okay, John, let's move on to, to GM now. GM shares uh, fell sharply after earnings, you know, close to 9% uh, by the end of the day. Uh, what did Wall Street see in, uh, in the earnings that uh, led to that move? You know, it's kind of an interesting question because I didn't, <laughs> I didn't know where it was dropping. You know, it's, it's, oh my God, they missed. But, um, you know, if you look at the underlying numbers, it was a good quarter. Revenue fell short. That was, a, that was a clear miss, uh, no matter which poll, which set of, you know, polls you looked at, whether it was Bloomberg or Thomson Reuters or whatever, some of the other ones we use, uh, you know, revenue fell short, but it was, that was just, they, they, you know, they ship fewer vehicles in the second quarter than we expected. Um, they've got thousands and thousands of vehicles that are built except for a couple of computer chips sitting on lots, you know, all through the Midwest. Uh, we see pictures of those all the time. They're, I saw one lot today where they're putting a thousand uh, GM pickups a day into the lot out of one of their, their, full-size pickup factories. And it's, you know, it's just huge, huge, huge rows and rows of trucks waiting for these chips to come through. Um, 
and you know they can't record the revenue until they're actually shipped to dealers until they're done so you know there is that and 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 you say okay they missed on revenue but that's reasonable uh but you know their profitability was terrific uh you know bloomberg expected two dollars and 23 cents a share uh, I think Reuters estimate was considerably lower. It was an odd thing because there was some divergence there. Um, I don't remember exactly where GM came in, but it was it was you know certainly better than I thought we would see. And dollar ninety seven is what I have here. In yeah, dollar ninety seven. I think I think some people were looking around a buck and a half, and and um, you know the profitability is really good here. I, you know their margins were extremely strong. Uh, you know I. What we what we say with GM is EBIT adjusted. It's you know operating profit minus one time items, uh, which weren't significant this quarter. The twelve percent uh, EBIT adjusted margin, that's big news in the auto business. That's a really strong margin. That's you know Mary Barr is keeping this thing on track. They're making good money uh, with GM. A lot of the story is pricing. They have been able to ship a somewhat higher percentage of their vehicles to dealers than perhaps Ford has, especially in North America. Uh, they are making some conquest sales, especially in trucks and SUVs in places where Ford dealers might be tapped out because uh, they can get some Silverados to dealers or whatever. Uh, they had a very good result in North America, a good profit. And they too, uh, with their financial services arm, also saw some of the same dynamic we talked about at Ford, where the used vehicles coming off lease are getting uh, better returns at auction than they expected. So that fattens up their profit. GM financial uh, pre-tax profit, I think was 1.6 billion, whereas they usually run around three, 400 million a quarter. Uh, yeah, that's, that's very stout and so forth. Uh, China is performing better for them, not back to where it was a couple of years ago, but 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 better than we have seen in the last few quarters. Uh, again, in China, they've also got you know, factories uh, that are limited by chip shortages. We've even seen this with some of the Chinese automakers, uh, the electric vehicle maker Neo, which I know a lot of our viewers follow, has had some of the same kind of uh, chip-related disruption. Um, but you know, Mary Barra's got it on course. Uh, they did. They were cautious with guidance. This was also true at a number of other automakers, uh, simply because we don't, we aren't sure yet that the chip situation is going to get better. <laughs> you know, by the end of the year, a lot more capacity is coming online. But whether those chips land in September or in next January is still somewhat, you know, a fluid situation. And I think we're going to see uh, more detail and more clarity on expectations maybe over the next sixty days or so. Yeah, the chip shortage thing is something affecting all these automakers to, to one extent or another. And it's something that's kind of out of their control, right? Until the supply chain, you know, gets gets back operating and, and we can we can account for uh, for those issues. There's really not much they can do besides, as you mentioned, start parking the cars in the lots and waiting for them to have those modules uh, to put in the vehicle. One line item. But, but I ahead, do John. think I do think just to be clear, that's why the guidance was soft. Because they don't want to, they don't want to, they would rather under promise and over deliver. Uh, you know, they'd rather have the upside surprise rather than to have to say, whoops, chips didn't come in in time. You know, we got caught out. We made 100,000 fewer trucks in the quarter than we expected, something like that. Uh, and, and so I, I think Wall Street was expecting uh, more optimism around chip supplies, really, is the story there. And it's not just a jam story, of course. Yeah. One other line item in the, in the, the GM earnings, you, you've seen lots of folks talking about this $1.3 billion in warranty recall costs, 800 million of which are attributed to the Bolt EV. EVs are, are something you know very much at the top of, uh, of discussion. And, and GM was relatively early 
uh, among the big automakers to move into electric vehicles with the Bolt. The GMs actually uh, sold enough of the Bolt to where they no longer receive the the federal incentive um, whenever you sell um, we sell a GM uh, GM electric vehicle. But what's behind this this large warranty charge uh, we're seeing related to the Bolt? They discovered uh, after investigating some fires and other issues. Uh, that there there were some uh, a relatively small number, as I understand it, of battery cells made by their supplier, uh, LG Chem, uh, that may have had a flaw that may be causing some of these problems. So what they did was they recalled every bolt that might have some of those cells in it, which was 2017 to 2019, I think. Don't quote me. If you have a bolt, check with your dealer to be sure. <laughs> you know, I don't want somebody thinking they're off the hook or they're under a recall if they're not. Uh, and, and, and they're going to replace battery packs. And that's expensive. Of course, it's expensive. Uh, GM emphasizes that this is not uh, the latest battery technology in the Bolt. This is an earlier battery technology. Uh, they are, it's also not their new Ultium cells, which will come online um, you know, when, the, when the electric Hummer SUV starts shipping later in the year. Um, but but this is this is a problem where they've seen a problem and and you know GM has <laughs> certainly learned its lesson over the last decade that if you've got a maybe problem you jump on it right away even if it's expensive because if you don't as we found with their ignition switch recalls several years ago it'll get a lot more expensive if you don't uh, so you know it, it's 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 them trying to get out in front of a of a little problem before it becomes a huge problem it's expensive it's also the right thing to do ultimate cost of the recall may not be nearly as high if they find that in fact it was only a relatively small number of cars they may be able to sort of hone down their their understanding of which cars are likely to be affected uh we'll see yeah, and that this goes into that uh, thing we talked about earlier of like if there's not some backlash against EVs, like I don't think this is a something that would make me concerned. You know, there's a fire risk with with EVs that you're concerned about owning one, but this is the type of thing that goes into this PR tapestry, um, and you know, it's one of those things you'll hear folks talking about. It, GM ha has released some more um, details around their EV plans outside of the bolt. What what we could expect um, from the company moving into the future? What should we be watching there as far as GM's EV future? We should be watching how the next few launches go. The Hummer EV is coming, GMC Hummer, they're calling it. Uh, and then in the first part of next year, I think it's first quarter, uh, a Cadillac electric SUV called the Lyric. And this is a direct Tesla competitor. It will have the Cadillac plush interior. Uh, word is it's very quick. It's quite stylish looking. Uh, what I want to see is that those two launches go off very smoothly because this is their new battery technology now, the Ultium battery technology coming out that we've been talking about for a year and a half, two years now. Uh, this, this, is, this, is, this is production. Uh, you know, if these vehicles launch on time, if the production ramps, as, as our friend Mr. Musk likes to say, uh, go as expected. If you know, early reviews are good, if there are not big recalls or problems right away, uh, that, is, that is bullish for GM's overall EEV effort. Uh, we'll be watching that over the next nine months or so. Uh, if there are snags, well, I'm not sure it's you know dire, but uh, certainly it means that that this is not going to go as smoothly as it should, and we will have to adjust our our, our roadmaps accordingly. Um, but that's that's the big thing to watch as they roll into their proprietary batteries, their proprietary battery packs, uh, these much hyped new vehicles. Uh, does everything go as planned? Same is true as Ford, really. Uh, you know, the Mach-E launched pretty much as planned. There are some early snags in production, but for the most part, it came out pretty much as planned. Uh, the F-150 has to come out as planned. 
Yeah, that that whole uh, you know, it's another thing you hear Musk talk about is getting getting from prototype to scale is one of the most difficult uh, things, and uh, you know the auto industry is, is one of the uh, among the most difficult manufacturing businesses there are out there. So we'll have to see how those things develop. So moving on from from GM and Ford, these North American automakers, let's look at at BMW uh, in Germany. What what's going on with with BMW over there in Europe? BMW had a really Big, uh, nearly six billion uh, in dollars in operating profit versus a seven hundred million-ish loss a year ago. Of course, they were in Europe affected by COVID and plants were shut down, much as they were here and in Asia and everywhere else. Uh, What GM's, what what BMW rather has going for it is that they've been able to get more chips than most of the others. Uh, They have good long-term relationships with their suppliers, uh, and you know. the way the dice have fell, uh, you know, whereas one of Ford's suppliers had a factory fire in Japan and this and that, and that has exacerbated their situation. You know, BMW has escaped that. Their suppliers have, have been able to do fairly, fairly well. So they've been able to build and ship more vehicles uh, percentage uh, as a percentage of what they might have wanted to do in the second quarter uh, than a lot of their rivals. And, you know, if you want the Cadillac or you want, you know, the Acura or whatever. Uh, but the BMW dealer has stock on the, <laughs> on the lot, you're going to buy the BMW. And, and again, because there are shortages elsewhere, they've been able to get uh, great prices, uh, minimal incentives. Um, and, and, and that's really what drove it. It's, 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 you know, we've got cars people want at a time where cars are relatively scarce. We're getting good prices for them uh, and we're selling a lot of them. Um, you know, their, their shipments were actually up from the second quarter of 2019 before the pandemic. So clearly they're, you know, at least temporarily, at least gaining share because they're able to make and sell it, ship the vehicles. Uh, and, and, that's that's great. It was a happy quarter for them. They warn, of course, that just like everybody else, they're saying, we don't know if we're going to be hit worse by chip supplies in the second half of the year. Um, alternatively, you know, if our competitors, if supplies ease across the industry, uh, this feast will come to an end to some extent. So they were also somewhat moderate on guidance. Um, but overall, it was an outstanding quarter for them. Yeah, this is one of those times where the supply the supply chain manager gets to shine. It's very rare that yes. that, that becomes front and center, uh, uh, you know, uh, the star of the company. And seems that that's that's what's happening, uh, at least to some extent, in in the case of BMW. BMW also, uh, you know, in on the EV uh, front, working on expanding EVs in Europe, which is a little bit different market. Maybe you can talk about that, about that, John. But what's uh, BMW doing on their EV uh, initiatives? Well, BMW is an interesting story because they kind of rushed into EVs in the early part of last decade. You remember the i3 and then the i8 hybrid sports car, which had this little three-cylinder engine, but you know drove like a proper modern sports car and so forth. Uh, and, and some really interesting technologies, carbon fiber technologies and so forth. And then they shut it all down. Uh, there was a change of CEO. The board said, you're spending too much money and not making enough money, et cetera, et cetera. So they then had to come back a couple of years ago and sort of reignite a lot of those programs. Uh, and, and because the board at BMW has been so conservative, they've had a little bit of a conservative strategy. You know, we're going to try to build internal combustion, hybrid and electric vehicles, uh, all from the same architectures, all on the same uh, assembly lines and so forth, because we don't know how the mixes are going to play out and that way we can respond so and for, so forth. They've evolved a bit from that strategy. They now have some dedicated electric vehicles. Uh, there was one out, the uh, version of the X3 SUV that uh, came out, I think, the end of last year. Uh, this fall, they're launching the i4 sedan. 
um, which is a roughly three series sized fully electric sedan, uh, and also an IX, which is a roughly, um, I think it's the size of the X5, give or take, an electric SUV in any event. Um, those are coming, I think, both this fall. Uh, and then, you know, there are more coming next year. Uh, BMW is saying that they're going to show uh, more of their plan next month at the auto show in Munich, assuming it happens amid COVID. <laughs> but one way or another, I expect BMW to make a presentation, even if it's, you know, by webcast, uh, talking about what they're going to do uh, a little longer term. And I think that will be very interesting to watch. Yeah, so in BMW operating in this European market, you kind of have to put some chips down on EV, or that you'll get starting start getting slapped with fines, which maybe explains that uh, that change in in path um, from management. So we've talked about Ford, GM, BMW. Are there any other auto stories out there uh, that, that maybe aren't among these names that folks are following every day uh, that you think you know should be on investors' radar? Well, let's talk about Ferrari, Nick. <laughs> Ferrari reported this week. Um, you know, and, and Ferrari is interesting because it's kind of an automaker and it's also kind of a luxury company. I mean, in a sense, really, its best comps are companies like LVMH, uh, Hermé, and so forth, companies like that. Uh, in terms of profitability and margin, I mean, these are very high-priced cars. Uh, they limit supply uh, to ensure the exclusivity and so forth. They only build about 10,000 cars a year, and even that's up from 8,000 a few years ago, but that's sort of accommodating the Chinese market as it has matured and so forth. Ferrari had terrific profitability in Q2, you know, we get excited when GM reports 12% EBIT margin, uh, when, when BMW reports a, a 10, 12% EBIT margin, Ferrari's was 26.5%, uh, which is, it, we, we're, not, we, we're accustomed to seeing Ferrari 22, 24% range. As I said, this is a luxury company. 26.5% is a good quarter even for Ferrari. Um, but the story isn't about chips. I mean, you know, they're not dealing with, you know, you go to the Lamborghini dealer and they're fresh out. So you got to go buy a Ferrari. That's not how it works. All these cars are built to order um, and, and they're getting enough chips. When you build 10,000 vehicles a year, you're not having trouble getting chips. Uh, the story here is they have a new model uh, and it's a hybrid. This car is called the SF90 Stradale. Uh, normally, when we talk about Ferrari, we talk about the ratio of V8 powered models to V12 powered models. Uh, when we look at their profitability from an analytical viewpoint, the V12 powered models are more expensive. They're more exclusive. They have fatter margins and so forth. So we look at that mix every quarter. Uh, the SF90 Stradale is actually a V8 model, but it's a hybrid. Uh, and it's priced and positioned like a 12-cylinder model, uh, which if you're you know deep into Ferrari, this is really interesting. Anyway, the price tag, this car starts at $625,000. Uh, it is the first Ferrari hybrid that isn't an exclusive limited edition where you have to be invited to buy one. Uh, theoretically, anybody can walk into a Ferrari dealer and order one if you, if you have the means, as they say, you know. <laughs> and, and from the reviews, I highly recommend picking one up. Uh, it's, <laughs> you know, it's, it's, this is a hundred, a thousand horsepower cars that's getting rave reviews from all of the car magazines and so forth. It's what their Formula One drivers drive. They did a whole video of it, of their, of their Formula One drivers, uh, Carlos Sainz and Charles Leclerc out on a track, you know, playing with these things and so forth. And they were both like, whoa, you know, these are young guys. They get to drive this car. And like, oh, yeah, wow, this is great. Uh, what happened in the second quarter uh, is they started shipping this very high priced uh, new model with great margins uh, for which there has been considerable early demand among their extremely well-heeled client base. Uh, so it was able to record the revenue and that 
push their margins way up. Uh, they too uh, warn that mod margins will moderate somewhat in the second half of the year because the next new models to come out are V8s. Uh, and that's going to make up a disproportionate share as they ship. Uh, it's a revised version of their Portofino convertible uh, and the Ferrari Roma, which is a new product for them. It's a, it's a sleek, smooth, uh, what they call a Gran Turismo, a GT, kind of more of a cruiser than a track car. Uh, and, and there's been very good demand for it in China. Um, some interesting notes about Ferrari. Uh, they took a record number of orders in June record month for them in terms of new orders. Their order book now stretches well into next year. Uh, and, and acting CEO John Elkan also noted that they're seeing more and more women buy Ferraris. In China, it's one in five of their buyers are women. Uh, and this is very interesting to them. Uh, they, they are noting a, a positive response, more women coming, uh, particularly with the Roma, the car we just talked about. Uh, and that's, that's a good trend for them in terms of, you know, their longer term order book and so forth. So it's a little business. I know not a lot of people follow it, but I mean, it's Ferrari. It's cool. I'm a car guy. <laughs> and and well, it's an extremely profitable, successful little business. Yeah, well, so I'll give you kind of three maybe bullet points to pull out of there. So number one, uh, this this SF90 Stradale, $625,000 price tag. We just saw the, you know, uh, uh, Bezos and, and Branson go to space. You can get a ticket to space with Virgin Galactic for $250,000. <laughs> so it's literally cheaper to go to space than it is to get this car, number one. Number two, uh, we, we are in this world of, Hyper-performance vehicles now are hybrid. Like hybrids are, you can get better performance out of a hybrid uh, than you can get um, out of a traditional vehicle. You see that you see the, the Formula One cars are, are hybrid today. Uh, so this is this is a development of it's it's not just like oh you want to save the environment, drive your Prius. If you want to have the absolute pinnacle of performance, um, a hybrid it can can help deliver that for you today. And then also just how many rich people are there out there? It's incredible uh, that there's yes. that there's this many people out there <laughs> buying these cars um, on a yearly basis. And, and Ferrari, uh, if you look at the market cap, I mean, this is a big company, right? I mean, when you look at the, the size of the business, um, you know, uh, it's a company with like 3000 employees or something. I mean, Ferrari is not Ferrari is a lot smaller than people think it is as an actual company. You know, it's, it's one factory plus a little body plant, um, like 20 miles away, and and their Formula One team. And you know, <laughs> they're doing very well. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. So, so just, just look at that market cap over 40 billion. So, so this tiny little company, they're doing very well. Um, I hope I have the opportunity to pick up an uh, uh, SF90 Stradale. I don't think it's particularly likely, but Ferrari, if you're listening and you want to, you want to take me and John out for a test drive, we will take you up on that. Uh, but until the, until then, John, always love having you on the podcast. As always, people on the program may own companies discussed on the show, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against the stocks discussed, so don't buy or sell anything based solely on what you hear. Thanks to Tim Sparks for mixing the show. For John Rosevere, I'm Nick Seipel. Thanks for listening, and Fool on. Fool on.